Hi, and welcome to another Tom Ray's Art Podcast. I'm Tom. On today's show, I talk with an artist who is in Florida. He does fantasy and horror art. He also was inspired originally by uh, animation and talks about that, talks about how he started getting interested in the way animation moves, the uh, way the figure is drawn, the way it forms, all that kind of stuff, you know, and how he got into fantasy art and actually the human figure, the human drawing, the concept of monsters, and then recently has been doing the comic circuit with his book, Monsters and Madonnas, which is a collection of his work, drawings, stories, and things like that. Uh, great conversation. It was really nice to meet the guy. Uh, we actually had to reschedule a few times because he's been doing the comic circuit. So I was really happy that we got the chance to get together and talk today. So here is my interview with Chris Kanitas starting right now. First of all, where am I talking to you from? Where are you located in the world? So I'm in uh, Orlando, Florida. Okay. Uh, yeah. Where are you at? I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm up. I'm up oh, in okay, Midwest okay. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm in. I'm in Orlando, Florida. Right, right in the uh, the heart of where the um, you know Walt Disney World is and and all that good stuff. I've so. been there a few times. Yeah, over the yeah, years. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, how long have you lived there? So I'm from Toronto, Canada. I was born in Toronto, Canada. Oh, okay. Uh, I moved down. I moved down here when I was in my teens. Uh, so I've been down here, uh, you know, a couple decades now. Um, yeah. And. Uh, yeah, so but but I travel around for my work and stuff. So I go to California, you know, I go go back to Canada, believe it or not. So yeah. and I hit hit a lot of the con circuits and stuff. So you know, that's when I'm. In, but but my main hub is here. My studio's here. So yeah. Well, what made you part. go all the way from way up in Canada? I say up as if it's like in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. North, okay. yeah. <laughs> way up north, down to way down south like that. Oh man, my my parents were gypsies. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking at you this way. I know it's confusing. Right. But yeah, my my parent my parents were gypsies and travelers. So my my dad was um, an entrepreneur and he moved around a lot. And so you know we kind of followed. It was just the three of us. So I was a lonely child. Okay. Um, but uh, but he dealt with a lot of the creation, the the design, the construction of, of stuff. And he worked for uh, the companies. He, he came to Florida in particular because of people that he knew um, in the restaurant business. And then, so they, you know, they pursued that and uh, he was, he worked in a lot of research and development for them. And oh, okay. so, uh, yeah, for, for companies to design stuff like the interior of the restaurants and stuff. My dad was creative and stuff. So um, my father was sort of in the, in the arts, in a different field. He was a chef as well and all that stuff. So, but, um, but yeah, so we moved down because of my parents really. And, and, and my parents moved to California and then they moved back. I was almost at a different school. Probably like, I don't know, you know, every, every three years I was at a different school. So, huh. So I've, I've yeah. met other people that have told me that type of stuff. And it's like, I mean, my parents still live where I grew up. Like it's, it's so interesting to hear of people. I like, I would have no idea what that's like. I know what it's like going to a new school because you've gotten older, but I've never yeah. had the experience of like uplifting your life and going directly to like a place where nobody knows you and all that kind of stuff. So that was, yeah, it's, it's difficult because you, you, you know, you have no foundation initially, right? Because you make friends and then you move and then it's kind of like, so it, it, it's tricky. But I think that, you know, I lock myself in my, my room with books and instruments of filmmaking, animation and art. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I sort of focused on that. And I mean, you kind of, you know, um, 
stay drunk on creativity at that point so right. that the reality of moving around doesn't destroy you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, or, or yeah, to you, you kind of, you know, your, 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 your friend ends up being your art or whatever it is that you're interested, whatever turns on a part of your brain, I think. Yeah. Um, as, as, especially cause I was a lonely child and you have brothers and sisters on top of it. So we're moving around quite a bit. Yeah. What, yeah. when did you, when you started doing artwork, like what was your first inspiration for doing it? Like what kind of things were you drawing when you first started out? So for, for art in general, I was turned, you know, there's an early memory I have, it's hazy and it's indistinct. It's so far back in time. I don't know if I can remember everything, but, but all I know is it was animation, traditional animation, I think Okay. Uh, like class animation, you know, uh, some people it's math, it's science, it's music. Some people it's nothing at all, which is unfortunate, but, but every, cause everybody should have sort of something latent that's activated and, and, and that turns on a part of your brain, but it would definitely was traditional animation. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, um, it was like a magic trick, moment of astonishment, where every thought sort of pulls from your face, bam, leaving nothing more than empty space. You know what I mean? It's like you're yeah. just, you see something that's like, you know, it, it just, I couldn't understand how um, they could get drawings to move and act and put on performance. And right. so, you know, it's much more than just draftsmanship. Um, and as a kid, I was turned on by like, you know, uh, classical animation, Disney stuff. It was way, it was ahead of my time, but. And then Don Bluth uh, was was a filmmaker that had made um, some movies in the 80s, but I saw them later on, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, like The Secret of Nim, and, and and he had video games called Dragon's Lair. And, and, oh, I and love those that were game. Games yeah. That, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm very familiar. Yeah. I, I also have uh, an interest in animation type background, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, a- animation is, 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 uh, is, I think it's the medium of this century. I don't think, I think right now, unfortunately, it's kind of, you know, our art in, in general is, I, I just couldn't understand, it. For, for traditional animation, the, the foundation is classicism. So wh- when you get into the field, uh, your figure drawing is, is prime. So, so you, there, you know, in the field of art, comics, fantasy, sort of sci-fi stuff, which is kind of what I deal with, um, there's two points of view. There's, there's two points of view towards art, if not more. But before I go any further, let me just say I don't think one is right or wrong. I, I, I teach... Right. Um, I've, t- I've taught figure drawing and animal drawing for years as well. So this is oh, where really? I kind of tell students and stuff. Yeah. Um, so there, there's, I don't think one of these theory or one of these ideas is wrong or right in the term. They have, they each have a, you know, their use and their value, but one is either that art's like an imitation of nature. And the other one is arts based on a concept of the ideal, meaning that, you know, you're, you're, you're mastering by learning from drawing from models because mm-hmm. in, in my field, you want to draw from your imagination towards a conceptualized uh, norm. You do that in animation, too. You, you, the drawing that you do from a conceptualized norm, it's research that helps you to better understand sort of uh, human uh, form and movements and stuff. And so unlike being an illustrator where you just copy the model, that has a little value for you. For mm-hmm. you, you kind of rarely do you work from a model except in training situations. And when I was a kid, and, and there was classical animation. You could see, you know, you, you could see these characters giving performances. You knew that they were taking things and, and, and you know, um, taking things in and leaving, putting things out. So knowing what right. to leave in and what to put out was essential. Making a, a simple statement is, is, it can be deceptively, you know, difficult. Like it's, it's, it looks like it's deceptively simple. Right. And the ability to draw from your imag- imagination is a prime requisite in order to create believable, uh, attitudes and movements and, and, um, you know, and, and, uh, bring characters to life, which is sort of acting and performance. Um, so you, you want to get past the, the man, the, the hand-eye dex- coordination, right? Like yeah. every, every the pencil and the paintbrush and all the stuff is kind of an extension of you so you can give a performance. 
so you can create not something that's realistic, but something that's believable. Right. Well, and, and not even um, to mention like the, the, when you actually do get into it and you see the, the squash and stretch and all that kind of stuff, there are drawings that you don't even notice that are in between that you don't see and you don't realize actually accent that movement to that point. Like if you actually look at oh, some yeah. of the, the squash and stretch animations, they're ridiculous looking. But they make yeah. it work. They make it better, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, they make it better. And that's the thing. Um, injecting it with realism, it's actually more believable, believe mm-hmm. it or not, than if you were – if you had those – so like, you know, rotoscoping. Right. Rotoscoping is a technique where it's like tracing. Well, when you trace something, you're a slave to it. And it's actually more stiff and has less life. I don't know what it is. It has to do with photographic distortion probably. It has to do with a lot of things that you sort of – you know, the Renaissance artists didn't have to deal with photographic distortion because they were trying to train themselves from live models and stuff. Mm-hmm. In fact, they would use them a lot of times. Right. But that's sort of a different um, – but knowing what to leave in and put out is similar to what you're saying because those in-betweens, when you, sh- when you sort of push them a little bit more, it actually makes it more believable. It makes it more realistic. I don't know why, but it's, just, right. it's probably the optics. You know, it's, it's like, it's like in, in illustration, if you look back here, this is high contrast. Yeah. This stuff pops. Your eye is drawn to the area of highest contrast in an illustration. So what you want to do is, in, in order to communicate, um, to you know, you, you want no, there's no there's no there's a strong focus mm-hmm. in it, but you want to use four values: one light, one dark, one medium, one highlight. That's high contrast, and, that, and that's kind of what we see in natural lighting. Mm-hmm. And but that knowledge has to be applicable to what you're doing. So you have to know that, right? Like knowing to leave that in or to put that in, you don't want to go five values because you might muddy it up. You want to go three values and might make it flat. You know, th- that's training that, that requires, that's beyond dexterity. That's knowledge that's applicable that, that you might discover. You know, I mean, it, 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 I, it's not something I made up. The Renaissance artists use it in the work. So, that's a similar thing to what you're saying as far as squash and stretch and those, because those were techniques that they realized, hey, the body does sort of squash, mm-hmm. and and it does sort of maintain that volume. If 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 you were just to trace it, it's not quite as believable as if you push it a little bit farther, though. So when things are squashing and stretching, you kind of you know the body goes down and then up in the mm-hmm. movement and stuff like that. You need to know to go further down a bit and then put, because it pushes, but it looks ridiculous on one front, right? But it, it, it it's beautiful and fluid in the context of the rest yeah so you know that's that's you know it's not logical it's kind of counterintuitive yeah well and so during this i mean you so you've uh you were interested in this animation but you you're doing mostly illustration right now so did you ever do animation were you did you ever try getting into animation yeah absolutely yeah no no, i started off in, in with uh storyboard and traditional animation stuff and that, that was that was my foundation, and that foundation was based in a lot of um, at the time when I was really you know hitting it, which is like five six hours a day. I was training myself through gesture, mm-hmm. um, which is the there, there's about ten axioms that you have to get in your work in order for things to sort of you know gel, um, and and those ten axioms are equivalent to to right hand left hand playing like you know um, hand independence like you went on a piano or something. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same thing when you have axioms the, 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 the gesture volume, um, you know, in, in direct lighting and those things are sort of things that need to be injected in the work. But when I started off, I did, I started off in animation and I started, started off studying gesture, which is the movement and the attitude of the figure. And it, it's a lot of quick sketching. People refer to it as quick sketching, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because the primary difference between like a quick sketch and, and, and gesture is that you're, you know, 
quick sketch sort of uses some of those, but gesture is you're trying to get the attitude, the body language. It's the most important element in a drawing because no matter how well something is rendered without the feeling of individuality yeah. that we kind of have like as people um, that, you know, that we experience in looking at real life, the drawing is nothing more than an academic exercise. So, so you want to get past long before you can see a person's face, just like you recognize them by all those sort of elements. You ever see somebody walking in the distance and you know who it is because it's a friend of yours? Right. You can tell from behind because just how they sort of – his body, how he dresses, how he walks, how he holds his head or mm-hmm. how she holds her head. You know, it's just like you know that that's your friend, you know, okay. your buddy. You can pick him out in a crowd. Um, that's sort of gesture in a way. You're, so you're not – so you have to train yourself not to learn just – you're not only learning to draw but to see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you practice drawing things from memory. You know, you don't have the luxury of models. You know, I do uh, animals and stuff. And when you're training with animals, you don't have the luxury of, of you know, studying animals only, right? Like, the, right. Are, or, I'm sorry, uh, they're not sitting still for you. <laughs> no. They're no, always yeah. moving around and stuff. So you so that you don't have the luxury of models holding still. So sketching from life and all that practice, looking at your subject and then drawing it from memory. Well, what, know, kind all, all stuff, what kind of stuff what kind of stuff were you drawing during this time? Like what was the style that you were doing when you were when you were doing these gesture studies? So, well, so gesture was so when I was training myself as 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 uh, to, to get into animation, that that was that was just that. You know, I mean, like, like I, I literally was doing figure classes and, and going to classes and oh, okay. sketching and taking sketchbooks and practicing. At, in high school? Know, on Yeah, this is high school. This okay. is like, college, you know, getting into college, trying to develop my skills. Because I, I don't think I, you know, I was turned on by all the stuff at a young age, but I probably didn't take it serious until about 17 or 18 where I started to really, you know, say, okay, this is something that I'm going to, you know, when you become a man struggling for existence and you no longer have the time to pursue everything that you love. <laughs> yeah. You decide to pick one thing and, um, and hopefully you can, you know, you can earn a, a bit of, uh, you know, get, you know, somebody's going to dish out the quid for it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, so, so you want to get to that point. Um, so for me, I just decided that I, you know, it's something I could do and I wanted to do it. I, I you know, uh, music was another thing, playing the piano were two. Th- so those were two disciplines. You know, the thing is, the talent's overrated. Okay. <laughs> D- discipline is where it's at, really, for a lot of this stuff. Because I've seen a lot of people with, with, with talent not really have the discipline to pursue it. And, 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 and listen, there's other factors weighing into it as far as, you know, earning a living and stuff like that. So, but I don't know why I was so driven. I think I just loved it so much. I think it just turned on a part of my brain. And like I said, um... You know, the other option is war, disease, hunger, privation, you know, Facebook, social media, or I could be in parallel universe, you know, okay. <laughs> staying drunk, staying drunk in, 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 in a parallel universe with the laws of nature differ with this magical, you know, fantasy and all this other stuff. So I'd rather work my ass off, you know, uh, practicing, looking at the subject and drawing it from memory and, and instead of, you know, and, and having time to take a sketchbook with me to go wherever you on a bus, yeah. watching television in a shopping mall. You know, th- those are you draw with your mind, not with your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I try to tell people that that you're drawing with your mind, not with your hand, that, you know, with practice, you're going to be amazed at what you can do and all those kinds of things. But you have to do the s- same series of steps over and over again. You know, that's 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 like, you know, that's what practice is. Like, you just have to be mad about it. You know, mm-hmm. You've got to be a little bit crazy, you know, from you have to have a mania for doing things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I have a mania for shapes. I have a mania for light and shadow. You have a mania for the universe of designs. Like these are things that just sort of, I don't know why there's patterns that probably, you know, we have these weird eccentricities and wonky mm-hmm. thought processes. 
and they and they're interesting to to us um, a lot of times. And so, you know, I think that's what it was for me. And, yeah. and so I, I wanted to get into animation and I knew to get into animation that you had to be a master of the figure basically Yeah. and drawing the figure from your imaginative faculties and stuff like that. And that, that was the basis of that art form where, you know, Raphael, Da Vinci, Pontoramo, those great drafts in the past that they, they had these, they spent years mastering, you know, and, and, and in the case of illustrations, they have these, uh, plan stages towards the creation of their paintings, right? Like you have the sort of sculpturals and murals and all the stuff, but they had pragmatic steps in representing the ideas and, and the classic approach of constructing forms in an effort to sort of create an ideal perfect form along with a desire for clarity, for transition, for ease of understanding. Mm -hmm. Those are the same requirements that you'd use for good animation. Yeah. You know, so when you get into animation, it's no different. So did you and, did you uh, end up doing animation, or did you end up uh, pursuing it, or because like I said, I know that you're doing you're doing illustration now, but I'm curious if you yeah, ever ended so up doing it. Yeah, so I ended up it. pursuing animation temporarily. I've worked for a couple of the the, the big guys here and there. Um, uh -huh. I've done uh, cover stuff for for people. Oh, okay. Um, for for the, for the big companies as well. Uh, you know, my backgrounds like I've done it across the board for for yeah for the big guys. Okay. Um, but right, but for the most part, I, I found that like I just you know there there's a time period too where you kind of wanted to break off and kind of do your own thing. I mean, right. I, I'm pushing you know what I was going to talk about later on is I have something called Monsters and Madonnas and my own stuff. Right. I'm pushing. I'm going to be doing a Kickstarter for it and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, initially though, it, it, it's all the same skill set that you need to you know you have to develop the same skill set to, to, oh, to get yeah. into the field you know so it doesn't matter whether you're doing it independently or whatever if you want to have sort of a level i think of excellence like if you want to raise the bar there on that you know you, you're yeah you, these these are the steps that you would go into so i, I knew that as a, then because the guys that i loved you know their basis was in classic classical uh figure drawing mm -hmm. you know and so that that's you know that that's what you had to that's what they were teaching teaching drawing for animation that's what they were doing and so you know it's it, it's practice in the animation industry or was at the time yeah. right now i will say that the traditional animation industry kind of doesn't exist um, right well there's, there's so many especially with the or the abilities to do them on your own at home uh remotely to actually produce and you know uh put out Absolutely. work there's yeah. there is a different and uh, one thing I'd like to know too is I, how did you get into um, so the stuff that you are doing right now it is it is fantasy and horror based I guess uh, I would say so yeah yeah oh yeah exactly so prehistoric horror cosmic horror is kind of what I'm doing yeah, right yeah now. like how did you get into that well that's that so that's a personal eccentricity so that's something okay. that I've just always been interested in um, you know uh, like I you know I've I've done. A lot of uh, I did a lot of writing. I've written scripts for for um, for comics and stuff too. And so okay. so and, and, and I kind of have a bit of a combative personality. So um, <laughs> I think it just goes along with the territory sometimes. Where you you know you write essays, you have a wide range of criticism on things covering literature, film, even television, print media, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so your mind kind of goes down this this thought process where. You know, you, you sort of, I, I'd hate to say it, but it's like you have a go-to hell, you know, go-to-hell attitude about certain things after a while. And when you're in the industry, I will say that you do become a little bit more more cynical <laughs> yeah. about things. So my, you know, it's it's like I joke around about it sometimes, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I, <clears throat> I say for the most part that, um, you know, that I, I basically, I like my chocolate and my humor dark. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> but, but, we, bittersweet is kind of like one of the most luscious, underrated words in the English language. So yeah. the cynic 
in me kind of likes the image of sorrow mm -hmm. and delight entwined in an eternal tango. So if you look at Monsters and Madonnas, mm -hmm. that's kind of what it's like. What's a cynic, but kind of a bruised romantic sort of a, you know, and I think most most artists really, they're driven to the outlaw, the fringes of life, sometimes by rejection, because you're kind of you work in, in, in a sanitary isolation a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're you spend a lot of time with your wonky thought process trying to sort of so but, you know, it also, you know, sometimes it's hard luck, whatever it is, or your own damn disclination to be a sheep, you yeah. know, or, or, you know, so, so you ruefully, like, you have humor that comes naturally. It's like you're a sad, renegade soul. So you gravitate towards horror. You know, you gravitate. I'm also uh, a huge, like, I, I, as a kid, I was a huge nerd when it came to evolution and, okay. and sort of, and so I sort of hybrid those ideas with monster hybrids and humans and prehistoric beasts okay. and stuff like that. Yeah. So my stories have kind of gone in that direction, which is like a creation myths about the creation of mankind, but in, in, a, in a fantastical way, a horrific sort of way, yeah. where I'm dealing with the image of sorrow and delight entwined in an internal tango. So I, I say it's a Darwinian, we're like a Darwinian nightmare run amok on this planet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's kind of what the tagline is for, for the stories and the scripts that I've gone in. Philosophically, I think cynics actually enjoy thinking about death and doom. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and it's not in a bad way. It's sort of just a melancholy reflection, you know, that, that you know, that the, the cosmos is kind of rigged against you. You know, it's like right. you've managed to detach yourself from the rat race and it's trivial urgencies. But now you're sort of in this wonky thought process of. So I, I don't know where it all comes from. Maybe from feeling alienated myself and, and you know, yeah. look, there's. Larger issues that are always going on when I see things that are ridiculous. The larger issues for me is just you see you see things that of of life and death uh -huh. of you know the consumer cultures of the, those stuff. I I don't harbor any sort of gaudy uh, delusions of uh, immortality in that way. So I'm, I'm reasonably certain that that you know in in the stories that they're headed for the compost heap you know mm -hmm. what i mean so, right so it's it's you know so i and i used to do i and also i used to love hp lovecraft and mm -hmm. uh, sort of that stuff you know cuz cuz it, it was just the dark underside you know and 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 today the dark underside could be the food chain cultural decline suffering insanity house flies bad music whatever yeah. it is you know what I'm yeah. Saying? yeah so and i'm joking i'm not too serious about right. it but 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 so so that's where it comes from. I, I guess, you know, we, we you know, you, you think it's it's philosophical in a way. Yeah, it's, it's a philosoph and, and if you think also, if you look at if you were to actually look at some of my work, you will notice that that, you know, they, they jokingly refer to me in, in, in the field as a master of light and shadow because uh, it's the strength of my work is, is light and shadow, which yeah. I think high contrast is what I was telling you about is is. The quality of an effective picture is having high contrast. It's almost like um, uh, film noir, mm -hmm. old school horror. Okay. I've sort of projected that in, in, into my, my work because the thing about high contrast is, as I said, the eyes naturally guided that area and it's dark, mm -hmm. right? It's the darkest dark against the light and it has a focus. In, in things that don't have a focus, all values within that will fall into a, a – so the eye isn't attracted to any picture plane. If you have too many values going on, that, okay. that's not always a bad thing, but there should be a reason story-wise for not having a focus. Yeah. And, and, and I'm talking about visually right now. Right. But old-school horror and stuff, if you ever go back and watch like uh, film noir, black-and-white film and stuff, mm -hmm. they always had a strong focus. There's no question about where the eye was to look. It's dramatic. It's high contrast. It makes a clear point. 
So the designer might, you know, it, it, those focal points are never of equal value. They're never fighting for attention. You always know where you're supposed to be looking. That's actually a, a horror thing. That's mm -hmm. actually in horror as well. And so when you go back and you think about, like, what commands your attention, why you look at things, what makes things uh, a pictorially, like, imperative, like what it is that sort of, what what is the nature of that impact? I think that the first business of us, this is sort of philosophical, so this might not be technique, so I might be getting a little, you know, but why do you look at some pictures and why do you pass others over? I think that we, as animals and primitive, we give our quickest and complete, completest attention to the things that stimulate danger, Yeah. and they sense danger. Okay. And so high contrast has danger, it's pow, so it's like the audience will stop to look at it mm -hmm. because it has that sort of fear response. Yeah. And something might be strange or, you know, so no matter what we you've evolved, it's like we, we always have this fear arousing stimuli. Does that make sense? Or does yeah, it like no, that? no. It's it's like the theory of the traffic slowing down during, you know, something happening on the road or whatever. It's it, you stop right. to look. It's the entry. Yeah, I get that. And in uh, the composition that you're talking about, too, I remember a similar concept uh, back to like way before I didn't even understand it, but I kind of got what they were saying. And it was in the draw the Marvel way book. Uh, there's actually oh. a whole section about composition. And I remember looking at that going, oh, that's how they do it. And I'm like, I didn't know what they were talking about. I was like in fifth grade. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but but I, I understood what they were saying. It made sense. I just looking at the, and they drew the shapes and like going, here is how this goes. And if we put the characters in here, your eye is drawn to this place. And it's like, right. but I didn't understand what that meant. I just saw like, oh, you're supposed to add shapes first and then fill in the characters. No, that wasn't it. But, I mean, later on, you figure it out. And then also taking classes and uh, doing more, basically through doing, you know, and, and, but one thing I'd like to know too, like, so you did these drawings and you decided to put them together in a book and then you started doing the comic circuit. So tell me, tell me about creating this book and like getting involved in, uh, you've been like out traveling with the book and, uh, tabling and stuff like that. So tell me, tell me about some of the stuff that you've been doing there. Yeah, so so I managed to build a small follow. I mean, you managed to build a small following. I don't really know how this works because I know that this is all. So I, I've been able to take out the guesswork in my art. Okay. Consistent. I have not been able to take out the guesswork when it comes to making things, obviously, you know, something that, that, that you know, popularity does not always qual correlate to quality or vice versa, right? Okay, I think yeah. That, how do you get things to work or, you know, how are you able to get an audience or how do you build an audience? And I really have never been able to take the guesswork out on that. Right. I've done numerous. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you what I have done is I've tried numerous different things mm -hmm. um, and I just put them out there. And if something responds and something works, then I might, you know, do so. I, I with Monsters and Madonnas, I had already years ago, I think in 20. Well, not years ago, but around 2016, 2017, I had started putting original artwork, just posting it up on eBay. Um, oh, really? And uh, I like yeah. that. Nice. And, and and so just randomly one, you know, I mean, I've been working professionally, but on the side, I was like, I wonder if I, because I noticed that a lot of people were buying original comic art. Mm -hmm. So they were buying the black and white, you know, comic stuff. So I thought to myself, let me give it a shot. And, um, and, and, and I had somebody also that was, that, that, that was a teacher in a way that, that not a teacher, it was a mentor yeah. that said that he had been doing it and said, why don't you give it a shot? And so I did. So I started putting original, um, uh, comic art, posting it for starting it at a dollar. Mm -hmm. um, doing an auction? Uh, do. On an auction, like for a week or two. Yeah. First couple of weeks I was pulling in, you know, I mean, it, it would go to 30 bucks, you know, then it would go to 40. 
Yeah. By a year and a half later, it was going about three, four hundred dollars for one drawing. So I was doing a nine by twelve ink, black and white, and I was pulling in a couple hundred, you know, extra bucks a week. Yeah. What it was doing, though, on top of that, was it was it was getting me noticed among uh, like people in Japan and people that are you know overseas because there was a lot of people that are collectors and a lot of high spenders, um, mm -hmm. people that just love artwork and they, they were doing it. And so I got, got a bit of a following with that by doing more, more pinup stuff, uh, kind of pinup work and stuff. Not, um, when I say pinup, pinup could also be like splash pages, comic stuff, right. stuff. Yeah. Fantasy to eBay. I don't do it anymore. So I had stopped about it. And there's a story behind that as well, but I had, I had really like knocked it out of the park for a while. There was doing quite well. And, huh. and that is, but th this is answering your question. That's what led me into getting a bit of a following, mm -hmm. gave me the confidence to continue and then to start doing this other stuff where it's like I did a Kickstarter and the Kickstarter did okay. And then I put the book together. And so I was able to take content. Now, yeah. I also was not just an illustrator, though. I was a writer. So I wanted to take eight anthology stories, my cosmic horror stories, and put them into the book as well, which I'm doing in volume two. Oh, cool. And so all the original characters and stuff, but my main thing is that because you're asking me specifically how I got into it, my 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 thing was um, I I wasn't big on the internet and 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 I've been in the industry. People have been telling me years, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, I had done a lot of so when I was on eBay. What I did do though is I also did some 100% uh, original fan art. So I was doing some Batman's and Jokers and and stuff like that, and right. that got me a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, because of because a lot of people weren't able to sort of do it in the style as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like there's a difference between you know, um, you know, there's there's a lot of crap on eBay. Let's put it that way. You oh know yeah. I mean? It's like. You know, it's, it's. I don't think it's, anybody's disputing that. No. It's, yeah. So, so it, 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 and that's actually could be beneficial to you though too, because uh -huh. if you have something that's of quality, it gives people a reason to choose you as opposed to the other options. Right. Yeah. So that that might have helped me. You know what I mean? And and I've I've been doing commissions for years, and I was trying to get away from commissions. I mean, there there's a symbiotic relationship between artists and their clients commission funded, which they think is as natural as the blue. But commissions, to be honest, for the most part are just like they're they're roundly sort of I'd hate to say it but vigorously hated by those that have to accept them in order to put food on the table for the most part because yeah. Yeah, that principle has applied throughout history it's like it's like Goya did numerous like commission portraits of Spanish nobility in order to pay the bills right mm -hmm. but the wonder of is is that really he was dealing with a bunch of vain prigs who had too much time and too much money to spare because yeah. after he didn't have to paint him, the aristocracy anymore, he began to paint the most brilliant works of his life. There's a correlation there where you have that freedom, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I know that sounds terrible in a way, but but for the most part, it's like after you've been doing commissions, if you've done them for years, you're going to find that you feel like you're manning the wheel, you know, of a taxi cab while simultaneously absorbing endless commands from whichever money backseat driver that, that sort of picked up on the street corner. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, it's like... It's like I don't, you know, to tell a perfectly competent person in any field, I was going to say artist, yeah. but honestly in any field, we've all had this, you know, what to create by essentially threatening with potential starvation if they don't comply right? is sort of like degrading them. And, and artists, we're all a little wonky no matter what. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it is part of, you know, I mean, some of them get remembered for composing great symphonies, you know, they, 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 that kind of stuff. But humility is called for, definitely. But yeah. but it's it's it. But this is sort of you know, 
but were the commissions were the commissions the thing that got you off of eBay or like you said that you ended up you stopped doing it so so because of this or what I what I started to do was so I I sold out I I went in because I needed to to you know I I couldn't handle anymore but by selling out I mean is is by getting a contract with a lot with a larger company oh okay to, to do stuff and so. So when you get a contract, you get a contract for five years, so you're not so worried about the, you know, the, the commissions. But I still accept everything. So when yeah. I'm hitting the cons and stuff, I'm sketching right there for people. I'm, you know, I've got my my prints, my books, my originals. I bring everything with me, and the, the, you can earn, you know, if you're hitting cons consistently, and eventually you get asked to do them too, and so you're not paying for the yeah, cons you, anymore. Were you asked, or did you contact people? Like, how did that start out? So in the beginning, no, no, no. In the beginning, I was paying. In the beginning, I, I wanted to hit the con. You know, a lot of people were telling me, you know, while you're doing this, why don't you hit the cons and stuff? And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. So, you know, I don't want to sit. But I, I, I gave it a shot, and I absolutely loved it. I pulled huh. it. You know, I made so much money on the first round that I was like, I've got to be an idiot not to do that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so it's like it, it, it's like because I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be working to commission to commission and stuff. So it just worked out for me, you know, where it's, it's, you know, it's worked out. And then you, you get asked and you don't have to worry about it. So the, the main thing sometimes is the travel. But even that, if, if people like your setup and like how you are and, you know, look, the bottom line with this business, and I, I and this, this is hard for people to, to get across, is that, um, that, that good showmanship is the oh, yeah. basis of everything at this point. And I'd hate to say it. Your work should speak for itself, mm-hmm. number one. But it, the truth is that there's a great deal of showman in every artist who's worth their salt. You know, you post lurid signs, you beat a gong, mm-hmm. you yell himself hoarse, you know, or you yell yourself hoarse. Anything to halt that passing crowd and lure them inside your tent. Yeah. And if you're a wise showman as well as an energetic one and, and you know, and you have something worthwhile, that's key too, because there's a lot of people that are bullshitting and, and they are beating a gong and they're doing a little, you know, and, and they're, they're sort of um, shock or whatever. But if you're a wise showman as well, you know, and you have something worthwhile, you know, mm-hmm. when you get them inside, you know, get them inside your tent, I think you'll keep them there. So being an instinct, you know, uh, being by, being by instinct a showman in general you know, it, it's like, I guess you naturally gravitate towards that eventually. You, you, you sort of stand there, you set up your tent, and, and you do your thing. And you're, you're a sideshow barker, but you're a sideshow barker that's got some skill. Yeah, and you learn over <laughs> time. Some, I mean, yeah. doing is how you learn. Like, even when you go out, you think you have it right away, and you, you see what's working, what's not, and you adjust, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you, you adapt. And it's, how long have you been doing the, the comic circuit now? Uh... Uh, almost five years now. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Almost five okay. years. So yeah, yeah. Is it seasonal? And, 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 I never know if it's seasonal or if it goes on all year. Like I know oh, there are it different kinds. Con- it does go on. What all else year. I do as well? I also do vendors and markets and all that stuff. Oh. As well. Okay. I will do. I will do just about anything at this point because it is it is fantastic all the way around. You build up. That's the other thing. You build up. Um, an email list. Yeah. Too. I mean, if you want to get real technical now, if you right. build up an email list that you have. So that if you are going to do projects or you're going to do Kickstarters or something like that, you can let people know. I never advertise. What I do is I discuss philosophy. I might send out something on um, talking, discussing about the pictorial imperative. Okay. You know, so so I talk about clarifying my my formula for picture success. There might be people that follow me that are interested in technique. There might mm-hmm. be people that are interested in philosophy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, kind of like what this podcast would be. So it's yeah. the same same thing. Is that you know. 
just trying to improve your knowledge or get an idea of where other people are, how they're, you know, how they're surviving as artists. Um, yeah. You know, but, but I, I'll tell you though, is that is, is showmanship is, is part of it. Yeah. You know, showmanship is part of it. And, and most artists are introverted. I was introverted, but there has to come a point where you have to get, you know, you have to have thick skin. Right. <laughs> and, um, and you've, you've got to get out there and, and, you know, it's like you work in sanitary isolation, but in order to get some sort of, you know, recompensation for your labor, you got to descend to the plane of the marketplace and note and rejoice whatever the effects of your works are on people. Yeah. And, and so you want to have evidence of your work, right? Even if it's on a personally indifferent public. <laughs> right. I want the person, I want these people I don't know to love my stuff. Oh, know? yeah. No, it, that's, that's, that's basically so, the concept. Yeah. For the most yeah. part. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a endless feedback validation loop, which is not a good thing on the internet. I'm, I mean, it's not. Right. But in a sense, it's a matter of, for me, because I'm a little bit, you know, I, I do have a bit of a bite to me. It's part of my thing, but it's a matter of less importance whether the public is pleased, amused, but I want to get some sort of reaction um, yeah. because because that could lead to selling my stuff and promoting it. And it's more than ego at this point. It's survival for a lot of us. And and why do artists paint pictures, write symphonies, right. carve statues, tell stories? Is it because they only find spiritual release in the doing of these things? I would say, but that's not the whole story or is it because they make a living after the fashion? You know, there's got to be more to it that. And I think a lot of times, I mean, for me, from my perspective, um, there's one that's always disregarded. And I think that most of, uh, you know, anybody that's creating something is being an artist because they revel in the idea that they might affect or influence people with their work. Mm -hmm. If you have a story or something, it, you don't demand approbation, but you demand notice and response. And the thought that you might, maybe um, through your work, influence people, strike past their defense mechanisms to their secret emotions. Yeah. Might give you the satisfy something that's nestled in a hidden part of your mind. You know what I mean? It's, it's part of that thing. So, and then obviously you got to remind. Yeah. So, and um, enjoy you yourself. Know. That's, that, that, that's another thing too. I mean, you, you wouldn't I, yeah, do it if you didn't enjoy bad, it. But, but, but the thing is once the, once you're doing it professionally and you're, you're earning money, it's, it's tricky. I yes. will say that. Oh, it's I'll, tricky I, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're balancing why you initially what turned you on with you've got to make this you know you've got this deadline you've got to do this and because you, you know because you got to get paid for it so yeah you know uh, listen I'll point out that out of the hundred commissions or whatever it is all the stuff I've ever done over the years only two people when it was for other people said paint whatever you want or do whatever you want right. or create you're the artist yeah so it, it's a different you know when you're really working professionally it's still it's a creative job it's, it, it's great but it's still a job. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it's not disillusionment, but I think that um, people have a pe – people just don't understand that, you know, creative jobs are, are you know, acting, writing, uh, making music, films. They're seen by fans as some sort of utopian ideal. Mm -hmm. You're creating art. You're using your imagination. You're freed from the nine to, you right. know, five slip. But that's not always true. Yeah. You know, I mean, you do have the freedom, and, and I, I'm a, I love what I do. But it, it, but a creative job is a job still. That's why I said talent's overrated. Discipline is is it because you you know while it's fun and entertaining like any job, it can be very uh, draining as well. Especially right. if you're you know driven and stuff. To if you work at a company, you're going to have executive meddling. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, of course, and 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 stuff like that. And then if you're trying to get work for people, I tell younger people too that are getting into or, or just newbies, rejection letters. 
failed auditions, you know, those things are things that you have to work through and you have to say, this is what's going to happen. You know, it's like when you put yourself out there, those things are going to happen. That's just part of it. So, yeah. you know, it, it can make what seem like, oh, that was my dream job. That's a nightmare. And I say, no, it's not a nightmare. Right. You have to work through that now. You can't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You did the book and you mentioned before that you're actually working on a second book. So what's, what's coming up? What, what is the second book going to be like? What's, what's uh, the concept behind that one? So I'm, I've, uh, so when I was talking about the creation of mankind, I, 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 uh, creation myths and stuff, I, I'm fascinated by um, a term that, that is called uplift, developmental process that takes certain species of animals. And uh, cause now you're, now I'm going to get real nerd out on you, man. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's your book. I mean, you tell me. <laughs> yeah. So, so without revealing too much, the idea of taking certain species of animals and, 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 and um, transforming them into more intelligent by already intelligent. So okay. cult, you can do cultural, technological, evolutionary intervention. So remember I told you I was interested in evolution. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the idea of, you know, that fictional or real process of, you know, um, uplifting, becoming an uplifted animal and stuff. Okay. Um, it's, it's, I have something called the uplift universe and it was a response that I had when I was talking to a buddy of mine about earlier science fiction where, I don't know if you ever see, you ever see the planet of the apes and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. So planet of the apes that where, where, um, you know, it, the, the concept was should uplifted animals, cause I don't think people ever got this out of those movies, but one of the main themes in there was should uplifted animals be treated as possessions rather than people in a way kind of like we are mm. we work a slave wage we kind of slave it out so we're kind of like uplifted animals if you think in those terms um if you think from a scientific perspective but even if you think from a biblical because we kind of taken these ideas and mixed and matched them um it, it's part of a part of this sort of uh my stories are part of these these differing policies of galactics and humans towards client races that they've uplifted mm -hmm. i know <laughs> so a bit much but 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 if you read you know it, it, it much more so so anyway so it, it, you, cl there's clients and there's patrons and um, they extend rights and so monsters and Madonnas was based off of that concept. You mm -hmm. you, you remember you ever read the Islands of Doctor Merle? Um, know, I'm familiar with the story. I'm familiar with the movie, but I've never read it. No. Okay, so so the concept of of uplifting could kind of be in the beginning of those stages where where in that book the novel. The scientist transforms animals into sort of horrifying parodies of humans through surgery and psychological torment and stuff. Because during that time period, they had just, I think Darwin had just, Wells was obsessed with Darwin's theory of evolution. And so thought, well, geez, what would happen if we actually literally did something like that instead mm -hmm. of letting time do it? You know what I mean? Where it was kind of like, yeah. so it resulted in this sort of like Victorian concerns about vivisection and the power of unrestrained scientific experimentation experimentation that could do terrible harm and you know and i read that stuff as a kid and it really just like i just found fascinated by the, the idea of it and then the connection to us being you know uplifted apes and yeah. stuff like that you know so so that extensive brain surgery there's many other stories um that that, that sort of struck on it but there hasn't been a lot about it yeah and, and when, when i look at us i look at this whole thing i do see a sort of Darwinian nightmare run amok with the, these little t us, us as technological monkeys and our tools and all the stuff. Okay. So it's a fascinating, it's an obvious story that I'm surprised that, that, that a lot of people aren't, you know, writing about or, or fiction, you know, t what ifs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of where it went. Okay. And look, everything that's going on right now from, from, you know, from the, uh, 
you know, I mean, look, there's not any petting or whispering to the animals with, but but we do have a new kind of training for modern times, and that thing is is it's this endless algorithmic feedback loop that people are tapping into, which yeah. is likes and comments and follows. That's kind of another way of manipulating lab animals here. You know what I mean? So, okay. so what, what, what used to be called advertising now can be understood as continuous behavior modification on a titanic scale. Right. So for, for me, I mean, that's up, you know, that's, that's messing with these lab animals, but yeah. Okay. And when do you, I mean, when do you expect this uh, book to be coming out? Like, do you have a release date or like how far along are you on it? Well, yeah. So, so the book is, is finished. Um, okay. The, I was going to have it done before uh, before the pandemic. Okay. And then the pandemic happened, and I kind of was, you know, put it on the back burner. And um, then I started hitting you know, all the cons again about three or four months ago. I had yeah. gotten vaccinated, and I did all, you know. So yeah. I, I know we don't want to get into too much of that stuff. But right. but I, I, I felt comfortable for myself. I wanted to get vaccinated and, you know, and that kind of thing before I started going out and and, and uh, hitting the cons, I mean, and stuff. Okay. And, uh, and, and stuff. And so um, once I got comfortable with that, then I started hitting stuff. And now I'm, you know, volume one has been selling, like, I can't keep enough of them, like, which is good. So when I yeah. go, I'm selling them all, but I want to have volume two because volume two has a lot of the other content in it. And it's a, it's going to be a larger format and have concept art, the storyboards, it's going to have the comic stuff and it's going to have the actual scripts and stories in there. Oh, cool. And, and yeah, yeah so you're going to have that with you. Oh, when and you... so I'll probably, you know, I was looking, I'm looking to do a Kickstarter now coming up. I haven't decided when I was okay. going to try to have it ready for this con because it's always good. Mm. To have your, your – if you're going to do a Kickstarter when you hit the con, it's great to have people right there because you can get them sometimes to pledge for, okay. for the Kickstarter right away. But I didn't have a time enough. I've been doing so much. So I had done another con. Like I said last week, I had just gotten back from the other con because I went to, to the Savannah one. And, right. um, and uh, you know, so – yeah, so my, my, my plan to have it out is within the next month. I, I want to do a Kickstarter within a month time okay. right now for that. Uh, the Kickstarter is mainly because the um, – it, I don't know what you know if people are interested, but when you do Kickstarter, if you're doing it for books and stuff, the publishing because it's quite expensive to to get the books like published, like and and you know you have to create quite a bit of stock, right? So, right. Um, you know, but the content itself, I always have done ahead of time. I always okay. have all my content done before I've done anything. I notice there's a lot of Kickstarters where people are like working on the content while the Kickstarter is going, which is that would make me paranoid. Right. I, I want to I want to know before I'm getting people's money that, that that the project is done. That way I can get it out the door. Right. You know, well, once it's done. And if people did want to follow what you were doing or find out more about like the book or even just get the book if they can't make the comic circuit, where where should they go to oh, find great. out more yeah. about you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, so my website is monstersandmadonnas.com. Okay. And then I only have one social media. I'm not on Facebook really at all. I, I don't even really – I just kind of have a dummy a, like a d- dummy account that's like, you know, just sitting there. Yeah. But I am on Instagram. It's Kanidis Art. So my last name, which is C-O-N-I-D-I-S and then Art. But monstersandmadonnas.com is really where you can get in contact with me. If, I, I try to get people to subscribe. You know, go to my site, subscribe as everybody. Please subscribe, guys. Right. But um, in, in that case, I don't really send out anything – except what I said earlier, which is I usually just send out stuff related to the field, you know, stuff okay. I've written. I send essays. Um, I started to, to knock out some video essays and stuff like that. And because I teach, I have an art academy too, by the way, that's online. Um, and I teach uh, classical figure drawing and stuff for people that are interested. You can sign up with me and you get a one-on-one correspondence um, oh, cool. with me. So that's those are the things that I push. I push my books. I push prints. 
I push originals, and yeah. then and then I you know push um, if people are interested in learning uh, draftsmanship, uh, improving on the the tradition of fine draftsmanship. So nice. Well, I want to thank you for talking with me today. I'm glad we finally got a chance to hook up. <laughs> yes, man. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.